Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to episode 175. I am your host, Mark Shapiro, and my guest in this episode is Dr. Beth Linus. And Dr. Linus is an infectious disease epidemiologist, and she joins us to discuss what can only be described as the extraordinary events that are unfolding by the hour. This conversation dives into the issue of the coronavirus pandemic and the ripple effect that it is having around the world. It has been an extraordinary few days. Things are moving very quickly, and even today, March 11th, which was the day that Dr. Linus and I recorded. Things have changed even since we recorded. The NBA has announced that they have suspended play for the rest of the season. Conferences, gatherings, sporting events around the world are being postponed and canceled. Things are moving very, very quickly. And this is a very timely episode because Dr. Linus and I step into a really important space and it's around the idea of what is happening, what the role of epidemiologists in this space are, and the importance of a term that has really made its way around the world very quickly, this idea of what is called flattening the curve, looking at how we can try to mitigate an outbreak's peak to try to spread it out over time with the sole goal of doing that to be that we don't overwhelm our healthcare infrastructure. And it's pretty safe to say that right now, the most important resource in the United States and around the world is healthcare infrastructure and bandwidth, the ability to continue to take care of people who come to the office, who come to the hospital, who come to the emergency department, whether it's because of coronavirus or something else. And protecting that and managing to that, that is the priority. That is really the currency of the realm right now. And that is something that everyone needs to pay attention to and act very carefully, very thoughtfully, and comprehensively to move towards. And what I really liked about the way this conversation went and the way Beth really frames this issue is she frames this idea of flattening the curve as something that's aspirational, as something that even though things are moving so quickly, everyone plays a role, every individual action makes an impact, and that we really do have to have that sense of we are moving forward together. And it's also important to acknowledge there's no alternative. We have to move forward together. We have to continue to try to flatten the curve. There is much, much work to be done. Healthcare capacity is, as I said, it's our most important resource, and we have a responsibility to take every possible step to protect it. And as Beth says, every little effort counts, and it matters. We are all in this together. She frames this conversation beautifully. It's really important, and it's also done in such a manner that a general audience can really grab hold of it. And that's what's so important is this is not just for physicians. It's not just for scientists. It's not just for epidemiologists. This is for everyone. This is something where we need to move forward together. We need to make the right decisions together. We need to be washing our hands for 20 seconds. We need to be doing social distancing. We need to be avoiding public gatherings. If we are sick, we need to be staying home. These are the things that are going to help us move forward in the right direction and do the best that we can to flatten the curve. Before we get to the conversation, I just want to remind everyone you can find this episode on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you like to download your shows. Please share it. 
there is something in this, I think, that is accessible for anybody. You can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter at ETS Show. I'm on Instagram at Explore the Space Show. There's a lot of conversation around where are good places for news, where are good sources for news. If you're not sure, you can connect with me and just ask me, and I will refer you to good people on Twitter. I will refer you to good people on social media, good articles that are coming out. The news does change very, very quickly. There are incredible resources that are out there. You can email me anytime as well, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. This feels like a really important episode. I've talked a lot on Explore the Space about how we strive to make episodes evergreen, meaning you can go back to them in time and they're still just as relevant as the day before. I really hope that this episode does not remain evergreen and the actions that we take in the next days and weeks are really going to be what dictates that. So without further ado, Dr. Beth Linus. Beth, welcome to Explore the Space. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. You are joining us in an interesting and for our generation and many surrounding generations, unprecedented times. Yeah, it is kind of incredible. I like I, I mentioned today on Twitter that I am really appreciative of the fact that people now know what an epidemiologist is, and I don't study the skin. A lot of people <laughs> often think they think they hear epidemiology and they think epidermis because that's the skin. Um, and I have to say, nope, think epidemic. So now it's very exciting that people know what we do. That's right. And that's exactly what I think is important for us to start this conversation off with. I always like to take that high level strategic view and then we can get granular. And I never like to assume anything. The field of epidemiology has existed for a long time. Mm -hmm. You are at the apex level of it with both a master's and a doctorate in epidemiology. But we, we don't want to assume. We want to start at that high level. Can you frame for us First, what is epidemiology broadly? And then we're going to step into what does an epidemiologist do? Sure. Um, So that's a great question and a great place to start. So epidemiology broadly is sort of what we like to call sort of a science of public health. And some people like to call it the science of public health. I don't want to step on toes. So I'm going to say it's a science of public health. But it really looks at sort of the study and distribution of of health-related states and events. Also, they don't have to be just diseases, but diseases in very specific populations. So neighborhoods, schools, cities, counties, or globally. And we're really interested, our sort of unit of analysis is always the population level. So when we talk about medicine, we talk about individual care. When we talk about public health, we really think about the grouping and the sort of that population level, which is Um, important in some cases when you think about a population versus an individual like we're seeing now with COVID. So Um, when we take that description and we overlay it with what's happening, and obviously we're talking about the coronavirus pandemic, and we can officially use that term today because the WHO, the World Health Organization, declared today that the coronavirus is a pandemic. It's a worldwide pandemic. So we use that term safely and freely, not to scare, but to be consistent. So we now lean heavily on our epidemiologist colleagues and understanding what you just described, what is the toolbox for an epidemiologist when they are faced with this kind of challenge? So it's a great question. So this is a very specific sort of what we like to call shoe leather epidemiology case study, if you will. When people think about epidemiologists, they think disease detective, which is very correct, but there are a lot of ways you can look and examine diseases. So you can look at the, you know, 
another example that we are, I am an infectious disease epidemiologist. I have a background in HIV. So I've looked among people with HIV here. We're really looking specifically at an event that occurred. We are still trying to understand how, but we know something moved from an animal into a human, um, a virus that was then passed between humans is now passing between humans and making people sick. So what we really are trying to do is sort of determine the who, what, when, where, and why of what happened and the cascade of events um, to begin understanding how things, how the virus got into people and then how people sort of moved around. And we look at the actual pathogen itself. So in this case, it's the coronavirus, which causes COVID-19, the disease. We're looking at how the virus is, we're learning about the virus in live time right now, how it's spread, how fast it's spreading, who is getting it. We're looking at the distribution. We're learning that elderly individuals seem to succumb quick, more quickly than kids who seem at the moment to be spared. So we're really looking at, um, we're really being detectives. We're just trying to gather as much information, different kinds of data from different people at different times. In your sense of epidemiologists worldwide, I, again, not wanting to assume anything, is this new coronavirus pandemic, is it sort of, for epidemiologists worldwide, is this a drop what you're doing and work on this kind of moment? Yeah, I mean, Yes, <laughs> I feel that way. Um, I'm not going to speak for all epidemiologists. There are yeah. um, a lot of types of epidemiologists. So we have chronic disease epidemiologists, social epidemiologists, infectious disease epidemiologists. But I will say that we're all trained to understand and to follow diseases in communities and populations so that we're all trained to look this way. And I do think even epidemiologists that say focus more on the social determinants of health or social aspects of health and healthcare are able now to speak to this because we understand the importance of what it means to have different kinds of transmission spread and what it means when people are in close proximation and what different components of a virus or an illness that are making things happen, that are making it spread or that we think are making it spread. So everyone, I, I would say, I mean, this I'm biased because I am an infectious disease epidemiologist. I would say, yes, I would like to jump in all, you know, with both feet. Um, I don't have that luxury. I do have, you know, a full-time job as well, but I know my colleagues who are still, you know, plugging away and getting data in live time are crunching numbers and really looking at this closely. And so are the people that are actually on the ground. We have these individuals called EIS officers, Epidemiologic Intelligence Service. They are with the CDC that are being deployed all over the country initially and, and the world. They were in China at some point. Um, also, you know, taking and learning from people. We, we actually do talk to individuals as epidemiologists to actually understand physically, who they were in contact with when for this sort of investigation. One of the things that I have been struck by as I've had to relearn a lot of epidemiologic principles, not just getting tongue-tied trying to say it, but also understanding the work, I have been really struck by the speed at which we are getting data and getting results. And sort of the case study that I would like to put forward is what we learned from the Biogen conference in Boston, how quickly it feels like that was able to be tracked back to certain people, not to then publicly name or shame. We don't know who these people are. That doesn't matter. But to track that transmission and then learn from it and also work to mitigate it. Do yeah. you feel like speed is something that is for me, it feels like, let me restate, for me, it feels like speed is a tool in our toolbox right now. We are not being hindered by that. Does it feel like that to you, that this is something in our favor? 
You mean the speed with which we're working that's in our favor? Yeah, and yeah. the speed the yeah. speed at which we're generating these things yeah. so yeah. that we can take action. Yeah, so a really good tool in the toolbox of an infectious, an infectious disease epidemiologist is the concept of contact tracing. And that's exactly what I was sort of referencing previously when I said people are going on the ground and talking to people who have been infected and exposed. And so what is really happening is when there has been if a local health department receives a case because someone tested positive and that information has to go to the health department, the health department then goes to that individual and determines where they have traveled, who they've been in contact with, when they were in contact with, and where they have gone. And they stay in touch with all of the individuals they mention. And that's called contact tracing. And that's a really important aspect of trying to understand the spread and where things are going. Um, and that's why we're able to do things quickly. Um, it's a really, it's sort of a very boots on the ground, shoe leather tool we have. And um, that's also what makes epidemiology exciting because you you get to come in contact with a lot of different people and learn um, things very quickly. And then that data is goes back, um, hopefully to, you know, to researchers and scientists who then are able to run models and to do basic modeling to understand and make predictions. And so it's been amazing to see the, I would say across the country, a lot of epidemiologists coming together and really wanting to sort of understand things quickly. It's taken, and virologists, I shouldn't just say epidemiologists, the really, the public health community is really working together, which is actually quite exciting, I have to say. It seems like that interface of the public health person, whether they're an epidemiologist or a virologist or whatever title that they carry, when they go out to do that contact tracing, it seems like that interface of that professional with the member of the public who's been exposed, that that's sort of the pivot point. Yeah. Establishing trust in that moment and helping that person to understand that the more that they can share and disclose is going to benefit not just them, but the people around them. Is it a barrier or is it often easy to establish that trust and move forward? It, it really sort of, I will say it depends, which yeah. by the way, I just want to say that the catchphrase of epidemiology really is, it depends. You'll hear yeah. that. It's a yeah. little bit of a joke. Um, I will say, so I say it depends because, you know, we have a lot of issues around stigma with certain diseases and illnesses. So, yeah. um, so for example, in the STD space, we do contact tracing. That's how we sort of look at, you know, outbreaks of syphilis or gonorrhea. And we have to go and we have to talk to people about who their partners were. And that can be challenging. Um, we have to definitely explain that this is not information that's being shared with anyone. No, you know, not your name. It's, it's you know, the, you are sharing a name of someone, but that information is kept confidential just between the between the person doing the contact tracing and the people being spoken to. It's not, we don't share identifying information. Um, it's also important though, so that that individual who then becomes exposed, can, you know, can follow up and make sure they're okay. So it helps down the line. Um, but it is important. Trust is really a big thing. In cases like COVID, um, I think people, they sense the urgency, they understand the importance and people are more willing to discuss where they've been and who they've contacted in the past. But it really, it sort of does depend on sort of the outcome you're looking at. That's interesting that people are sensing what I'm hearing from you is that people are sensing the importance of this so that when they're being asked, they're sharing. Do you think it's sort of out of that sense of doing it for the public good that I need to share this because it's important and it'll help gather data and help keep other people safe? So I don't I, you know, I can't I haven't been. Let me just be clear. I haven't been collecting uh, frontline data. I haven't been a frontline health worker. I'm not that sure. contact tracing. So I I. I would hope that's why people are doing it. I think yeah. there's also been a, you know, I think there's also been a sense also that 
the more individuals that we can contact and the more information we can gather from people, the more data that we can get that, that we could use to under, to update our understanding currently going forward and for the future. We need a lot of, you know, genetic information and um, sort of personal history to demographic information, social history that we, we use that information then to sort of understand why, for example, and I can't answer this yet, why is this so much worse for elderly, you know, more frail individuals and people with underlying health conditions compared to children. It's not usual. We don't, we don't expect that with coronaviruses. We expect, you know, the very old and the very young to be the most at risk. So we need that information. So I think people are sort of saying, you know, I'm, I'm helping out others and other people in their communities. It's interesting hearing you list out that sort of to-do list, the various needs, because when there's a lot of them and there's a finite number of people to do the work, we have to prioritize. And then once we prioritize and we select our priorities, we have to do our best to execute on those priorities first. What it's felt like for me over the last three to five days, and especially over the last 24 hours, the priorities have shifted where we're thinking more about mitigation, less about containment. And the mitigation piece has really risen up with a term and what's become a viral hashtag viral is is got a whole new meaning here but it's this idea of flattening the curve and there's a very specific curve that we're talking about it feels like this has become the priority and it's a curve where, where there's two peaks where there's one where there's an outbreak with no intervention and there's an extraordinary demand on hospitals and healthcare infrastructure. And then there's a much lower peak with a much longer spread. And there's links to this in the show notes, obviously. This is a very common thing that we're all becoming familiar with. This yeah. peak, this idea of flattening the curve, walk us through that term. We're all hearing it. It's going to be on the news for weeks. What is flattening the curve? Yeah. So first, I want to say, just step back one second, when we, we were talking about moving from containment to mitigation. And so we are moving into mitigation, because one of the reasons with the containment, we're running out of, you know, it's really becoming not possible to do contact tracing. We've had, we're at capacity with the number uh, of cases and then the yes. number of individuals. And so we're moving in, I think, Washington State, I believe, was the first to say, we're not able to do this amount of contact tracing. And now we have to move, you know, we contact trace and we want to test. Um, and we're not able to do the contact tracing. So they're moving to testing. And now we're moving into this mitigation. And that's where we're talking about sort of social distancing and the epidemiologic curve. And an epidemiologic curve really is a plot that shows us on the y-axis, the number of cases, and on the x-axis, sort of the time since the first infection. And so you can plot all these cases. Um, because we want to be able to see where every day, how many cases we have. And the goal is when we flatten the curve, we want to put more time um, between cases so we can bring that, if you can imagine that, you know, we're spreading the time out so we can slow the spread because we want to buy ourselves some time so we can understand more about what is going on because if people are getting infected and sadly they're succumbing, we're not able to sort of you know, we're not able to work quick enough. And also we reach capacity in our hospital system. Like I've said before, generally, if I'm, I'm a healthy individual. I'm in my thirties. I personally, I'm not, if I get sick, it'll be unfortunate. No one wants to be sick. I believe I could be okay if I was to contract this, but I am in contact with a lot of people who are at risk. And so I'm trying to slow the spread by doing my own social distancing, which is now I'm remote working, and I'm trying to limit my exposure to large crowds because we know that when people are in close contact, that's how COVID spreads. And so flattening the curve is really just trying to get people to not 
be in large groups that allows the disease um, to move quickly, like we saw at the Biogen conference, right? We had a bunch of people come together and we got tons of cases out of that because we know when people are together, viruses, they want to survive and they have to move hosts to do that. And it happens very quickly in this case. That's a really helpful summary, and I appreciate the sort of going further upstream to frame the issue better. That's why you're here. You're the expert. <laughs> I'm learning from you. So that is really useful. This this term, right, this idea of flattening the curve and social distancing, just in the last 24 hours, we are seeing cancellations of major events. We are seeing professional sports going behind closed doors without crowds. We're seeing conferences and all of these things happening. They're happening at an incredible rate, uh-huh. and it seems like it's all built around this idea of flattening the curve. Speaking as a frontline physician, as a hospitalist, when I look at it, I am grateful and gratified that that is what's happening because for me, the priority is to preserve the extraordinarily valuable and finite resource of American healthcare infrastructure and healthcare infrastructure around the world. Mm -hmm. We have what we have. We can mobilize to increase a certain amount more, but that has a ceiling and we have to maintain that. And these steps are so vital. And this idea of social distancing and flattening the curve, the way you describe it, no stigma attached. No, you've done something wrong. You're doing something right. It's This is the road forward to protect us at a population level. That really resonates. Yeah. I mean, it really, I mean, and, and the thing is about social distancing is it doesn't, um, in this situation, it really does depend on everyone because, you know, me alone, one person, you know, doing something doesn't um, prevent spread that much. I mean, it's very probably infinitesimal, but we need it at the population level because, that is what we. That is how we can slow things up faster when more people do it. So that's why it's really a public health sort of tool in our toolbox. Versus, um, you know, individually washing our hands is also very important. But we know that we can even slow things quicker if we're getting people, you know, not in close contact. I have been gratified at how quickly this idea of flattening the curve has at least seemed to make its way around. I have friends who are reaching out to me and asking me about it without me even bringing it up, which means people are seeing it. First of all, they are acknowledging its value as opposed to throwing it away. Hashtag fake news. They're taking it on board and saying, this looks really important and I want to understand it better. And I think this brings us to another really important topic, which is the facility and ability of people who work in some aspect of healthcare or any of the sciences, physical sciences or life sciences, we are all getting asked about this. Every single one of us, we are all getting asked about this. What would be your wish list of tools for anyone being asked the question, what does this graph mean? What is social distancing? Why is it important that I wash my hands? When it comes down to us communicating properly, as someone who I know that that's, that's baked into your training to communicate properly and effectively with the public in the moment, what are the key levers for you when people ask you, I'm, I'm getting asked about this, I need to do it, I need to nail this because I get one shot at these people, what is your wish list for effective communication? That in public health, it's not just about you and the individual. There, it is a system and it's the system is really important. It's about the population writ large and we all have a role to play in it. That you might not be concerned about you getting sick and because you have that, you know, you're young and healthy and you don't 
you, you might not care as much, but it's bigger than that. Um, we have, you know, we know dynamics of infections, we know dynamics of viruses and how they move. And we understand that not everyone will get sick. Some people might get, you know, might be infected and have mild symptoms. Some people might have more severe symptoms, but to really, it's really hit home that it's, it's really about the population writ large and not an individual, you know, entity. And while it might, you might not think that you're making a difference. Absolutely. Every little effort counts and it matters. Um, that's what I really want people to understand now. So I'm hearing a lot of people, we're, we're going back and forth a little bit. I think until today, I will say, you know, there was a very big concern, you know, a couple of weeks ago and people were going and making runs on things in the grocery store. And then there was some complacency, like it's just a bad flu. That's not true. I just have to put that out there. And now we're coming back to the, oh my God, what does this mean? You know, in public health, there's this really fine line between wanting to tell people, you know, explain what's going on not panicking people, but also not becoming complacent because neither of those extremes help public health. It's in the middle to be prepared and ready, you know, to do what's needed to help flatten the curve. Prepared, not panicked, right? That's yeah. the, that's, that's the alliteration that's been going around. Yeah. One of the things though, that I took away from hearing your description now, the subtext, the thing that I liked about it the most, you make it feel aspirational. You are giving people agency over this. We do have control over these curves. You as an individual have a role to play and you will be effective based on the choices that you make. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that aspiration and then to be able to be successful? I think that that's really powerful. I mean, I try. I mean, I try. You know, I've been – a lot of people have been, you know – nervous and panicked and upset. And I've really been trying to instill this notion that we all can, can help. I mean, it's sort of an all for one and one for all situation. I think yeah. Dr. Fauci has really made that clear also as he's been doing his press conferences. I, I like that aspect of public health. It really is sort of bigger than you. I, and that's actually why I got into public health. I really enjoy that. And so I appreciate you mentioning that, but I, I yeah, I, I hope I can instill that to people. I like to do a juxtaposition. And I talk about the power of juxtaposition on this show a lot. I use a more pragmatic approach when people are asking me. I show them the peak of the curve without social distancing, without the curve being flattened as a frontline healthcare provider, as a hospitalist, mm -hmm. where if we exceed what our system can accomplish, this is what may happen. So it's that pairing of... If we do this, if we are successful, here's what's at stake. We can do it together. Plus, here's what happens if we don't execute. Here's what happens if we don't live up to that standard of we're all in this together. And it's effective. And I've had yeah. conversations with people who I thought were going to be intractable, who I've had really robust debates about any number of subjects, and we just end up agreeing to disagree on this. They're like, Mark, I'm in. What, 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 what's the next steps? It's been really impactful. And I guess the takeaway, and I'm really curious to get your take on this. People want to understand this. I don't get the sense that people are so scared. They're putting their head in the sand. I get the sense that people really, it's tapping on intellectual curiosity. People want to know so that they can make good decisions. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, you know, the other thing I want to say also stepping back a little bit is the other important thing about flattening the curve when you show that image is that if you are to become sick and you become 
you know, into that, you know, cases, you want to have resources to, for you to be taken care of as well. That's right. right? That's so right. you want to preserve as much as we can. Um, so that's also something I sort of go out and share. And, um, and I'll add a third layer to that. Life goes on. Yeah. If you develop appendicitis, if you fall and break your leg, if you suffer a car accident and get injured, you need the receiving hospital to have the capacity to still take care of you, to take yeah. you to the operating room in a timely manner, to be assessed by a trauma surgeon, to get to the OR quickly. You still want that capacity too, because like I said, life goes on for the the 350 million plus Americans and the billions of people around the globe. That capacity has to still exist. And I think that there's sharing with people those layers is is really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And and to answer your other question about people who are really hungry for information, absolutely. I I absolutely agree. And you know, health is very personal. Everyone has a body. You know, everyone has the way that they feel and the way that they want to um, you know, be able to work and have their good health and they know yeah. when they don't, when they aren't in good health. And so when there's sort of a threat to that, people want to know how to help themselves. And so they look to experts and they look for that. And it's, I think I've always looked at health as slightly different because it's, you know, I don't necessarily have a need every day to understand how to do my taxes. When it's time to do my taxes, you know, I go to the expert, but you have your body every day and your health, you're always sort of, it's always on your mind in there. Yeah. So I think people are really hungry and, and, you know, and when you get good information, I think people tend to sort of are able to calm themselves and the panic is able to be re reduced, which is why I found, I feel it's really important that public health professionals, you know, do speak up and out when they're able to. Um, it sort of, it helps everyone and it also can just sort of bring down some panic as well. I'm in, I'm in full agreement with you and that's why you're here. So now, right, you are, you, you're as well-trained as they come. You know, all of the people in the field, I would imagine, or at least have their contact information to get a hold of them. Let's say you were having dinner tonight with five other epidemiologists from around the country, one from Seattle, one from Boston, one from San Francisco, five different ones and you, and you're sitting in the room and I'm a fly on the wall. What's the wish list? What would that group say? In the next three months, we want to see X, Y, and Z happen. What would be the wish list out of that group? Oh, that's a really, really good question. And you're asking me like right off the dome. Um, you got it. Absolutely. Because <laughs> you're right. If you're at dinner tonight, your friends are yeah, going to ask you yeah, too. Yeah. You know, I really want to be able to figure out these asymptomatic cases. I really would love a way to understand, you know, we're, we have, we're, we're having some issues with testing, which is to be expected. It's large. We're having a large epidemic. So, we also know that some of the numbers that are important in epidemiology depend on this, what we call the denominator, the total number of people impacted. And right now we're, on, we're only able, because by nature, people that don't come forward and get tested and just sort of are at home and have mild symptoms, we don't have a full understanding of that denominator. Um, I would really love a way to determine that. I would also really love to, I mean, once we can sort of begin to flatten the curve, right, we're not quite there. We haven't started that yet, but I really would love to dig in to understand what's going on with children, understand why this virus is different um, among kids. I think that's going to have to do with immunity. I don't quite, you know, love to talk to immunologists about that. That's two. Give us one more. Coming okay. up with three, I think is fair. More than that, and I'm pushing you too much. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I think, let me see. I think understanding people's, this is more on the social side, sort of the, the hesitation of why 
individuals don't think it would impact them or or what makes people sort of, I don't want to say not care. I think everyone cares, but be less concerned. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That detachment, that level of detachment. Uh, Yeah. And a little, yeah. And there's probably a lot behind that. And I'm not, you know, I'm an epidemiologist, not a you know psychologist or. But I like that. Yeah. I like that one because the point is right. We cannot be siloed to answer those questions and to do that work. Again, it's going to take everybody. We're going to need librarians, and we're going to need social scientists, and we're going to need social workers, and we're going to need people who are really good at creating and sharing documents. We're going to need a lot of people with different tools, and that's one of the things that I again find very aspirational about this. Mm-hmm. is it's everyone in the pool, man. Right. I mean, everyone's got a, got a role to play. Oh yeah. And we're going to learn a lot. I mean, there's far more than public health, right? We're going to learn about our healthcare system. We're learning about that capacity and who does yeah. what, when we're learning about emergency management, we're learning about what is needed in an outbreak response, how the order of events we, you know, when do we, when do we pull what lever, if you will, it is going to be a very big, it is a very big learning opportunity. And will be something that we study for years after this and will be probably the topic of several dissertations going forward. I think, though, that that point is well taken, that it will be something that we study and that we reflect on and that we kind of come back and do the Monday morning quarterback. We're not in that place right now. Right now, that sort of conversation, to be quite honest with you, does not interest me. Right now, we are we need to be proactive it, we, we are still reactive. We need to start getting proactive the last 48 hours. That's why this idea of flattening the curve and social distancing and feeling aspirational for me gets me feeling fired up and motivated because that feels like there's some agency there. We'll, we'll have plenty of time to look back, second guess, chalk talk, yeah. all of that. That's, that's, that's not right now, though. I agree. I mean, right now we need to sort of activate and understand how we can using the tools we have to sort of mitigate and slow the spread and under, you know, to get people and, you know, to get our healthcare system in a place where we can sort of handle all these cases coming in and everyone sort of knows the routine of what to do. I agree. I mean, after there will be a time where we'll collect data and we'll look at what's associated. We, we talk a lot about epidemiology, exposures, and outcomes. We'll look at all the different exposures, whether that be demographic, whether that be social determinants of health. We'll look at exposures and how they're impacted by these outcomes. We'll look at it by international you know, destinations versus local. What are the differences? You know, We'll look at all that, the genetics of it. So we have a lot to learn, but right now we really are trying to just understand, you know, A, keep people safe and healthy. Right. We want people to stay healthy. Um, and to those that do become sick, we want to be able to provide care for them. I can understand now, having had this opportunity to speak with someone at your level of expertise, why in the New York Times, epidemiologists are now being referred to as rock stars and why the currency that you guys carry really is the currency of the realm, this understanding of disease transmission, of contact tracing, of these outbreak curves, and this idea of flattening the curve. It's going to be vital to continue to have that same energy, though. No, I agree. I mean, I, I... I also love it. I love, it's very interdisciplinary. I mean, we can't do what we do. I think a lot about what I do as an epidemiologist sometimes is a bit, is a bit of a translator, right? I under, I'm not a medical doctor. I don't see patients. I understand a lot of what's discussed at a high level of, you know, how we're trying to interact with people to help them. Um, and I sit in sort of the public health, I mean, I do sit in the epi space where we have the data and we're crunching numbers and we're looking at projections and what's associated with what. And so sometimes it's really 
you know, we, we talk between like that a lot. And now I'm really enjoying speaking with more of the public so they can come in and understand what we do. Um, and I also really enjoy working with a variety of different people. It does, it does involve a lot of different kinds of people. I'm glad that you have that comfort level speaking with the public because it allowed this conversation to happen. And right. We have taken 30 minutes on a topic that is consuming world attention and I am so grateful and happy at the way you have distilled these massive topics in a way that people can not only digest, but then take on board and carry forward with that sense of motivation and aspiration. For all of that, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a tremendous conversation. You will come back. We will reflect. We will look forward. Right now, again, it's still social distancing. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Stay home if you're sick and flatten the curve. Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. It's really important. We all can play a role and I think, you know, we'll all play a role together and it's really important. So thanks so much for allowing me to come on and speak about it. This was wonderful, Beth. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.